Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, yeah inviting us here, Pastor Bill, and we are so grateful to be able to come and uh, share with you all what God's been doing. And uh, this church has been such a great blessing uh, for us personally, uh, for our church, our young church plant. And then uh, several of you, not only if you give to the Annie Armstrong and larger uh, offering uh, for North American Mission Board and the church, that money goes to people like us and lots of people that are planting churches uh, like us around the country, like uh, Pastor Bill said. But then this church also gives to us directly, so because as you may or may not know, it costs a lot of money to live in Los Angeles, um, in California in general, but certainly uh, in urban uh, areas. And then lots of you as individuals have given to us in our ministry for years and continue to do so now, which has been an amazing uh, blessing. Uh, Alicia would be here, my wife, but we arrived here on Thursday night to spend some time uh, with uh, 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 our family, with the grandparents, if you will, uh, for our four-year-old daughter, Piper. And uh, Alicia came in and said on Thursday night, I'm not feeling so great. And we thought maybe allergies. Uh, She got worse on Friday. And finally, yesterday, we went into the urgent care and the PA went, ooh, that's strep throat. Uh, And so she's on antibiotics back at uh, um, my uh, mother-in-law's house. And uh, so she would be here, and she'd love to be, but you would not want her here uh, because she might get you sick. So uh, she's sadly not here this morning, and our four-year-old daughter may or may not be coming with Grammy to the next service, uh, depending on how she uh, does without uh, mom next to her. So you may see her. Her name's Piper. She's now she's about to be four, uh, five in May, which is crazy to think about. Um, but, uh, no, we are extremely blessed uh, to be able to be here uh, with you guys, uh, like Pastor Bill said, uh, our leadership team, you know, it's some of you uh, are familiar with us and then it's been a while since we've been back here as well. So I thought I'd give you a little history uh, of, of our church and what we've been doing and then show you some pictures in a bit, too, of uh, what has been going on. Um, but we uh, moved to Studio City in fall of 2012. Uh, we love Los Angeles, have been in ministry with college students for at least for 12 years and myself for nine uh, before that, but we, we knew God was calling us to L.A. Um, and were burdened to uh, start a, a new church uh, because starting new churches, statistics say, is one of the best ways to reach people that don't know uh, Jesus. But, of course, if you know Los Angeles at all, starting a church in Los Angeles can mean you know, a mi- literally a million things because there are so many different uh, areas. Um, but, like, yeah, just like Bill said, God's really burdened our hearts for harder and more difficult places. So through his providence, we somehow ended up uh, in Studio City, though he had not uh, lived there before. Um, Anyone know where Studio City is or been there before? Okay, it's a pretty small neighborhood uh, there in L.A. It's a wonderful uh, part. It has about 40,000 people within it, so more than Ridgecrest in a much smaller area, like a lot of urban areas, right? Ridgecrest is about 25, 30,000, something like that. Okay, if I get my stats right. If you include Valley Village, which is just north of there and is very similar to Studio City, it's about 60,000 people that we're really uh, targeting in that specific uh, neighborhood and hoping uh, to reach. It's an extremely creative and gifted uh, area. Many people, it's called Studio City because many people work in the studios, the TV and movie uh, studios that are there, and most of them are within, it's about seven major ones that are within uh, about five minutes from Studio City. CBS uh, is right in the middle 
uh, and then the rest are next door to Burbank, Disney, NBC, ABC, uh, Warner Brothers, all right there. So when you see a Warner Brothers movie and it like pans over in the beginning with the shield over the studios, that's you can think of us now because we're right, right next to that. Um, so there are uh, five of us that are now on our team and. We moved there, learning, trying to learn about Studio City, because how, how in the world do you start a church? So Studio City is really made up of kind of two groups of people we've learned. There are the young people who live in the apartments and are scraping by, have three to four part-time jobs. Um, they're baristas on the uh, uh, weekdays, and then they have an agent because they're trying to make it in the industry. And so they move from all over the country. You, find pe- you meet people from all over. Um, sometimes they have, you know, southern accents. I'm like, aha, where are you from? You're trying to make it in the industry. And they go, uh-huh, here's my agent, you know. Um, but they're trying to make it. They're trying to break in uh, to the industry. It's extremely competitive, as you might imagine. Not just trying to act, but a lot of people trying to get into directing, get into writing and things. So it's an unbelievably competitive area. And then you have people that are able to afford the houses, which mostly people that have made it in some form or another. So uh, Alicia got involved with a mom's group and a couple, one of the dads works in advertising for Univision, one of the Spanish stations there, which is funny because he doesn't speak a lick of Spanish, but uh, the funny things you learn. Uh, another one does editing for a lot of different shows. Top Chef is one that he does editing for. And you start to meet these people that aren't necessarily on the forefront of what you see on TV and things, but they work in the industry and they're able to afford the houses. So it's, and then you have the people in the hills of Studio City, Mulholland Drive, if you've heard of that, is right up on the top. And those are the people that, that have really made it. I mean, they have a lot of money to be able to live up there. So it's highly creative, highly wealthy, and most tragic of all, highly, highly unchurched. Um, I've said this before at Emanuel, but if you think of Ridgecrest, if you think, uh, if you look at the whole city and go, how many churches are there in the city that, you know, believe the Bible? That if you went there, you could actually hear the truth about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. There's probably several, several, right, that you could go to and point to beyond Emmanuel. Thank God uh, Emmanuel is here uh, as well. Studio City, until we got there, had no other evangelical churches at all that we know of and we still haven't found. I think small enough area we would know uh, by now let alone Baptist churches at all. So you have this huge area of people, and there were no uh, other churches directly there that someone, if they wanted to, could walk into and hear uh, the Bible believed and the gospel really taught truthfully. Um, so many people see Christianity as culturally regressive, as backwards, uh, especially in the social realm, if you will. And the last thing they would think is that Christianity is where they'd want to find their hopes and dreams fulfilled in life. Uh, perhaps even sadder, it's that a lot of people, and you probably, everyone probably has friends like this, but a lot of them think they know what the message of Christianity is, but it's actually just a shell of what the true message of the gospel is. So some of that is because of the blinding of Satan. Some of that is because some of these people have had bad experiences uh, in churches growing up from different places, and they've seen in their minds too much self-righteousness, not enough doing good and making a difference that it has um, you know, affected their view of churches. So it's a very challenging area. Like I said, we moved there in two, end of 2012, started getting to know people, volunteering in the community, started living life, got involved with the rec center, Piper's playing sports there, and we're getting to know parents through there. Um, one of the, uh, the wife of the other pastor on our team uh, is working in a networking firm there. 
we started sharing Jesus as we had opportunity to. In September of last year, we were able to start meeting weekly in our home. So we were going act style, meeting in our uh, home there, just like the early church uh, did for a Sunday gathering. Uh, at Christmas, we felt we had enough momentum and enough people that we were able to do um, some services outside our home, renting space from... This is another thing you do in Studio City, because there's no other solid churches around. You make interesting friends. So we're meeting in a Christian science church. Um, why? Because they offered us a very cheap rate, and they were kind enough uh, to really allow us to have that. So they've been able to give us that space, so we've met there, and we saw 30-plus people come to each of those Christmas gatherings, uh, which was wonderful. And since then, we've been meeting at the end of every month uh, outside our home in that building. There's Studio City, funny enough, even though it's really unchurched, a lot of people expect... When they think of church, they expect to go to a building, and they expect to have something for their kids that they can have if they go there. So we've had a lot, even though we thought, oh, to be cool, people will go, you're meeting in your home, that's so, you know, I don't know, unique or whatever. But a lot of people still go, oh, where's the building? And so having it outside of our home every once in a while has helped. So we're having one next week on uh, Easter, obviously, so you can really be praying uh, for that. But we don't know what we're doing most of the time, if you think we're, you know... uh, Bill said, we have a special guest. I said, I'm not special. I'm just a guest (laughs) here. But we're trusting God. Uh, He's done some amazing things through our broken faithfulness uh, that we've had. I thought I'd show you a couple pictures so you guys can see. The picture that's up there, uh, there you go, is us, uh, one of our our gatherings uh, in our uh, home that we have there. So you can see people seated around and me, legs crossed, uh, doing the message from there. Um, So that's one of our smaller ones that we've had. So you can go to the next slide. There, guys. There's the one at the bigger church service. So we had, um, you know, about 30 people, including the kids, at different spots. You can see uh, Andrea, the other wife on our team, who's up doing announcements there. Um, so this is what it looks like to plant a church. We can go to the next one. Uh, this is was uh, our Christmas gathering we had. We did a uh, uh, candlelight uh, ceremony uh, for Christmas Eve. It was wonderful. Saw a good number of people come out for that. And we can go to the next one. There was another series we just did. We did a series on Luke together, and so my wife and another uh, girl on the team made that. Um, we was on Red Letters, which referencing Luke and Jesus' words. So you could just see some of the stuff. So we can go to the next one. There's Steve, our uh, the other pastor on our team, and worship uh, leader as well, practicing. Um, we had some other friends. Those people, other people are not involved in our church, but they're friends of ours uh, that came and helped out. Uh, which we have a lot of help from the different church, Southern Baptist churches and friends in the area. Then we can go to the next one. And then here's us working in the, there's a great interfaith food pantry that's in the town, which is one of the ways we've gotten involved to serve uh, the poor and needy in our community. And so those are all people there. You can see me in the middle with my uh, crazy hair. Uh, and then I think, Pi- yeah, Alicia's holding up Piper right next to me. And then there's another a uh, woman in front of me, uh, Carla, and who t- her two kids. And so those are people that have got involved making a difference uh, in our uh, community. So that's some of the, just some of the things going on. Hopefully it gives you kind of an uh, interesting look at uh, what we're doing there. Uh, but as I came and, and, and Bill wanted me to share about uh, uh, Scripture this morning and the message, I thought um, I would share with you some of the things that we're doing and how God is using us and some of the things we're learning there that will hopefully be a blessing to you. Um, so I thought I'd title this message, New Wine for Fresh Wineskins, which is a reference to Jesus' words in Mark 2.22, and here's what they say. Uh, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. 
but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Uh, Jesus, if you know, this passage is referring to his coming kingdom, the kingdom that has actually come. It's new and different in a sense than what God has done before. Everything was changing in a sense. Um, so I'm not discussing that primarily, but when we talk about uh, how we do church, we're doing, in a sense, new wine for fresh wineskins. Uh, we're doing something a little different maybe than what has been done before because the culture's changed because our area is a little different. But in sharing about that this morning, I'm hoping that you just see what we're doing is rooted in the Word of God, and I'm hoping it'll be an encouragement for you as a manual here in Ridgecrest and how you guys can be uh, continue being on the mission that God has given you. So how about I pray, and then we'll jump in. Enough of me blabbering and showing pictures. Let's get into the scripture, and I'll pray for our time. So, Father, thank you that we have... Uh, we have the opportunity to get absolute, uh, wonderful truth given and spoken directly from you uh, to guide us. Lord, there's so many uh, people, uh, friends of ours uh, in L.A. and here in Ridgecrest who have no real foundation for what is true, have no ultimate source they can go to. But, Lord, we have one, and you've spoken it to us, and we can look at it uh, in your word together. So help us now uh, by your Holy Spirit to learn, no matter where we're at, if there's people in here. Uh, who are not followers of you, and then many of us who are, I pray you teach us all, and you show us the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So I thought uh, first I would start with some unchanging principles that uh, can guide us from the scripture for church and what uh, it looks like. So, you know, you may or may not sense this, but it's challenging times for the church in a lot of ways. If you look at a lot of stats, you can see all sorts of stats about churches closing and and the culture is kind of swaying. Uh, we've lost a lot of the uh, church and cultural values have really shifted away from looking at Christianity as a source for where we should get our morals and things like that, as you probably know. But when it's challenging, when we've lost our clout in culture, it's always helpful, as it always is, to go back to the scriptures and what they say about what church is, what the core of church is, to go, what are we really called to and what should we be doing. So I want to show you one section that we look at as Anthology Church. Oh, I should say why we're called Anthology, if you wonder. Anthology is a, if you look it up in the dictionary, is a collection of short stories or poems or uh, uh, writings, musical pieces potentially as well, brought together into a greater work. And we thought we have, you know, we have a creative industry, writers and TV and all those things. So lots of people connect with stories and things. But it's a wonderful representation of what a church is, isn't it? People with different stories, different backgrounds coming together under uh, God's story, the gospel, to unite us for a greater purpose. So if you're wondering what does that mean, we do get questions. We get two questions sometimes. Not all the time, but uh, isn't anthropology? Anthropology, a uh, store with clothing in it. The girls say that one, if you're familiar with that store. And then sometimes people go, are you Scientology? And we go, no, 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 no. It's just ology. ology you know, biology doesn't mean Scientology. It's just study of. Anyway, so we get those questions. But not important that we're anthology. That's why we're called it. So let's look at Acts 2, 42 through, four, uh, yeah, 42 through 47. Uh, if you have it in your script, in your Bible in front of you, you can... Look at it there. I put it up on the slides as well. It's one of the first summaries we have of uh, the church after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Peter has just preached his famous sermon at Pentecost, and 3,000-plus people uh, became followers of Jesus in one day. Uh, this is what Luke tells us it looked like. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." It's really a beautiful picture and amazing description, isn't it, when you really see it and look at it? There's a lot going on. We're not going to unpack the whole thing, but let's just look at a couple of the amazing things going on with the first followers of Jesus that we have. Um, I've highlighted a few in this slide. You can see it's amazing how, how much Luke packs into this little section. He says, awe was coming upon everyone. There was an amazing sense that God was at work and he was working in and through them. There were signs and wonders being done. Miracles were happening through the apostles around them uh, on a somewhat regular basis, it would seem. Uh, If you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see some of those happening. There was amazing generosity and sharing happening for everyone. They seemed to be keenly aware of everyone's needs within the community and were giving to each other freely, not because they had to, but out of their abundance. There was great praise of God going on, happening with everyone as they experienced life together. Uh, And then Luke ends it by telling us they actually had favor with all people, which is really an amazing statement considering what had just happened uh, not too long ago to Jesus on the cross. Uh, And it's amazing when you look at the rest of the book of Acts, you know that that favor doesn't last forever. But it is an amazing statement that Luke puts in. The community was, you know, in awe in the sense of what was happening with this Jesus community going on, and it was an attractive thing. And then Luke ends it finally with saying God was adding to their number daily. So lots of people were coming to know Jesus. Now, these are things that probably every follower of Jesus longs to see a church like uh, like this one and like ours we really long to see right god moving in great power sensing his presence with other people experiencing his love and goodness together in tangible ways uh, having a community that's so giving and so open and generous uh, with one another having favor with the outside community that'd be nice as well right to see that people would not just see uh, churches and christianity as somewhere that, well, that would be the last place we'd go to to look for how to live life. But they'd come to us to look for what is true life and what does it look like. And, of course, we all want to see more people knowing Jesus and embracing him, don't we? Our friends and our family especially. And when we don't see these things, if you're like me, you know, I can look at this and go, well, that's great. I'd love to have a, you know, preach a sermon and 3,000 people <laughs> come. Although maybe I'm not. That's a logistical nightmare. Uh, after that, the part of me goes, ugh. Uh, but we'd all love to see that, but it doesn't happen all the time, right? It doesn't happen sometimes when we share with other people in our community and tell other people about Jesus. And sometimes it doesn't happen over the long haul, we know, with people we love and care for and in our community. And I myself sometimes can go, well, why isn't this happening soon enough? I can get really bummed out, depressed, whatever you might call it. It can happen especially to people in ministry, uh, as, as many of us, um, if you've been in ministry before, know. Uh, but the more I study passages like this, the more I realize our focus is not primarily to be on the results of trying to make those things happen. If we focus on the results and trying to make those happen which are overflowings of the Holy Spirit at work, and we try to make them happen in our own power, everything is going to go wrong, and they can actually become idols that we pursue, I've realized. 
So how should we gain instruction from this text? Well, look at there are four things that Luke says they were devoted to, according to uh, what he said. Uh, If we're going to use this as a guide and a blueprint for our churches, um, we desire God to do these things that are talked about here, then at some level we need to devote ourselves to uh, the very things that they did. Uh, But even if God doesn't do the amazing results, it shows us what we're to be spending our time focusing on and doing. So first, Luke says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is the preaching of the apostles from the Old Testament and how it pointed to Jesus and how everything that God had promised was fulfilled in him in his life and death and resurrection. And it also probably included the stories of Jesus and his teachings, which would eventually become the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They devoted themselves to fellowship, Luke says. That is being together, caring for one another, talking about what Jesus was doing in each other's lives sharing life together, celebrating his goodness, being together. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this is something that Baptists can really get behind, right? Hey, food, eating together. I, at least I can. I like, I'm, I'm, I like food. Um, eating together. But this is a powerful way, right, to spend time with other people. Uh, it's Even today is a great thing to do, to spend time eating with others. But, of course, this didn't just mean... Uh, eating food, but this meant uh, celebrating communion together. So reminding themselves Jesus' body broken in the bread and his blood spilled for the forgiveness of their sins in the wine uh, and grape juice that they drank. Grape juice today. I don't know. They probably didn't back then. Lastly, they devote themselves to praying together. This probably meant in formal ways that Jews traditionally did. You can see it says they were in the temple daily, so there were probably traditional ways they took what they were doing uh, in the Jewish sense and put in the new things they knew about Jesus. But, of course, it wouldn't be uh, excluded to just that. It meant in their homes as they were having Sunday gatherings and in groups and pairs, we're pretty sure, as well. So this is one of the things we use to help us. And what, what should we be devoted to as a church? But notice a few things it doesn't say. Luke doesn't say anything about how long they met. Uh, we know, and it doesn't say anything about the frequency. We know they started meeting on Sundays, which is the day Jesus rose from the dead. But Luke doesn't give us any specific knowledge about it was an hour and a half each, you know, each, each time they met. And that's the only time they saw each other and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like you get this sense of they were together a lot. They were doing things. They were doing life together uh, all over the place. Um, they were living life together. Fellowship was not limited just to one Sunday uh, gathering. And neither, apparently, was their time in the scriptures. Um, that's how when Luke says the apostles' teaching, uh, it was the Old, and Old Testament and the apostles' stories that eventually became the gospel, like I said before. But for us, that really equates to the entire uh, Bible. I love Luke puts that first. Isn't that interesting? They puts that very thing as the first thing. They were devoted to the word of God as the foundation for what they spent time uh, doing and what they learned about. Uh, even now, as we're kind of observing what is church and what should church look like, we're not primarily appealing. I'm not up here saying, well, this is what's been done over history. This is what a good business model is. We're looking back and going, what does the scripture say about what church truly is? Because this is our foundation, and for them, it was the foundation too. We continually bring ourselves to the word 
as our ultimate foundation of truth. So hopefully one of the ways that you guys as a manual and you can look at your own life is how am I doing it, devoting myself to the scriptures and the apostles' teaching? How am I doing it, fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters and sharing life together? How are we doing it, breaking bread together, whether that's celebrating communion, actually having meals with one another? How are we doing it, praying uh, together? But most Southern Baptist churches like ours and like yours, we agree with these principles, right? We would probably, you know, if you don't agree, then talk to Pastor Bill. There's some other, you know, uh, issues probably there. But I assume most of you uh, probably agree with that. But I want to talk about something that we've specifically applied that we can all often miss that has made a great difference for us uh, in our community. Notice one of the things that said in that scripture is that they weren't removed from society at all, were they? They lived out the church, lived out their Christian community with others who didn't know Jesus. They didn't retreat into the hills to create uh, a Christian community, but they did it amongst other people. We know this because it says they had favor with all people. So somehow they were living it out in such a way that people would see what was going on and uh, at some point liked it. So let's talk about one way Jesus told us to do that, um, which will be the second half of this. And I want to call it, I want to talk about loving our progressive neighbors, loving our progressive neighbors. Jesus talked about loving his neighbors, of course. If you've read much of the Gospels, uh, you can see that all over the place. It's one of the second greatest command next to loving God with all your heart and soul. He defined, if you look at some of the other places, he defined loving your neighbor and defined your neighbor as anyone within your proximity. doesn't matter uh, who they are, what they are. doesn't matter what class, what uh, uh, religious group they're from. It's anyone that's near you in your proximity. Uh, But there's a section in Luke and in Matthew as well, but I'll point to the Luke one, that gives another place for how, another great example and place for how we should live out and interact with our community as a church, specifically with those who are not followers of Jesus and ones that may be even hostile to the church or would rather maybe just see it go away. Excuse me. It's Luke 6, 27 through 36. I'll put it up there. You can turn there. Uh, If you like, Luke is the third gospel, about three-fourths of the way through the Bible. It's Luke 6, 27 through 36. Here's what Jesus says. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. We did a whole sermon on this for our church in that Red Letter series that you saw the picture up there a couple months ago. Uh, There's a ton we could say, and we won't do that today because we just don't have time. Um... But one of the things we've had to ask ourselves is what does it look like 
to our community in Studio City to practically love them? What are tangible ways we can communicate the love of God to people in Studio City, especially those who are far away from the church or would even be opposed to it? So how do we communicate that to our Jewish neighbors? A lot of stats say that about one in five people in Studio City are from a Jewish background. How do we do that to our LGBT neighbors who are part or people who care about the LGBT community? Um, the number one question, and this, I'm, this may happen in Ridgecrest, I'm not sure, but it certainly happens to us, and I've talked to other church planners. The number one question we get, not from people who are committed followers of Jesus usually, but people who are kind of, I'm interested in checking out your church, I'm, you know, I'm kind of spiritual, but I'm not, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about this whole Jesus thing. But the number one question we've got um, is not even from people who are gay themselves, but it's some sort of question along the lines of how do you treat the LGBT community in your church? Some are asking straight out for kind of a line in the sand, if you will, but most of them are asking what kind of, you know, they don't say this, but what kind of tone do you have towards those people? Are you going to be – we did have one lady specifically ask us, are you one of those condemning and mean churches or are you one that shares love? They honestly – a lot of people honestly think you either accept every aspect and approve of everything in the LGBT community or you disdain and despise them and think they're the you know, refuse of the earth. Most have no idea there's something in between those two polar opposites. And because Jesus says – in this scripture that we need to love those who are different than us, we have to figure out what does that look like for every type of community that's near us. And Jesus says, here's the reality. People love those who are like themselves. It's totally natural in a sense. If you're more conservative, you probably love people who are more conservative. They're like you. And you might tend to despise Democrats and the president and those to hold to Hit those policies. And if you're more progressive, more liberal, you probably love Democrats, you approve of the president and most of his policies, and you probably greatly dislike those stuffy, ridiculous conservatives. Jesus says in verse 32, if you only do good to those who are like you, what good is that? Even people who don't know the love of God do that. In a sense, it's totally natural to treat people who are like you with love. And Jesus calls us to do something stunningly radical, doesn't he? Yes, love people that are like you. We're called to do that. Because even people you like, as we, you know, anyone who's been married, we can get angry at people we love and we like, right? But Jesus says we're to love people who are completely unlike us. We're to love people who are not like us, who don't like us, who may hate us. Do good to them. And not just good that they won't recognize as good, but i got to believe there's some sort of sense of do practical good that they'll some way experience so that they may think you actually desire the best for them, even if you disagree with them. Let me mention one way we see this play out um, and one sense that we try to be aware of in Studio City, um, and it comes in the political realm. So everyone loves to talk about politics, right? Um, that's a joke, in case you're wondering. Most people in Studio City, if you don't know, and in L.A. are more politically uh, progressive, more liberal on the stance. So most agree with President Obama's policies, more or less for the most part. It's not exclusive, but you can find that a lot. Um, this, of course, tends to be different than most churches in America. I imagine if you survey churches here in Ridgecrest, they'd probably be more of a conservative bend. That's just me you know, stepping out on a limb. Uh, not totally sure. That's another joke. Uh, <laughs> 
but uh, we have a lot of people who are of a different spectrum, and we, you know, I'm more moderate, if you will. But um, uh, but what do we do in light of that? What do we do with people? We are careful how we talk about politics in Studio City. So specifically, we don't demean the president. Uh, we don't speak of democratic policies as destroying America and so on. Um, does anyone know who Ed Stetzer is? He is one of my favorite Southern Baptists, but he's a president of Lifeway Research, kind of an arm branch, a research branch of um, of uh, 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 Studio uh, Studio City of uh, Southern Baptist Church, and uh, he's pastor, church planner, great guy. He said this in a he's kind of a snarky guy, which I'm kind of snarky, so I like it. But he said this uh, by way of this topic. Uh, he said this, statistically, the unchurched lean heavily democratic. So, and I know it's just me talking crazy now, that's snarky. Uh, if you want to reach the unchurched, maybe constant Facebook, Twitter posts about how stupid Democrats are might be a bad idea. So, but this happens all the time, right? You've seen, I'm sure if you're on Facebook, you've seen some of those conversations. Uh, it happens one-on-one -on -one with people as well, and it happens in our churches if we're not careful. If we truly want to love and bless our progressive neighbors who don't know Jesus, it's going to require wise and kind language, not corrosive and divisive language. This is one way we can love people who are different than us. And here's the wild thing. It's not just for missiological purposes that we should do this and avoid corrosive language and things um, and not talk immediately about Democrats or Republicans for that matter, if you will. But it's because the scriptures actually teach and command us to love our leaders this way. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I'll put it up there. Paul tells this to Timothy, a pastor, and he instructs uh, how to instruct his church. Paul says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings all who are in high positions why that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life godly and dignified in every way it's very different isn't it than some sort of corrosive language paul says i urge you we should be thankful pray for intercede for people in high positions and the goal is to live a peaceful and a quiet and godly dignified life Paul gives us an example of how to do this in Acts 26:25, when he addresses the Roman governor Festus um, as he's telling his testimony. And Festus says, you're out of your mind, Paul. It's a really great story if you go look at it. But look how Paul addresses Festus, a Roman governor, a, you know, a pagan by all accounts and, you know, power to do all sorts of uh, ungodly things. And Paul says this, Festus, I'm not out of my mind. I'm not crazy. Most excellent Festus. When I was speaking true in rational words. I am pretty sure Festus was not a great model of Christian character and morality uh, in his power. But Paul addresses him as most excellent Festus, giving him uh, dignity and things. Sounds very different, doesn't it, than vit vitriolic language uh, and language that can often be seen uh, the way people talk about progressive neighbors, doesn't it? Paul and the whole scripture show us a better way. We're called to love our progressive neighbors, pray for our progressive president, and respect him in our speech and in our conduct, even if our enemies, even the, if they are our enemies in some sort of way, and don't afford us the same respect and the same good. Um, this happens too in our area. Of course, Hollywood is right there in the movie and television industry. This, of course, another example is being positive and not only speaking in negative ways about um, people in Hollywood and things. So uh, one instance we went, we were at a friend's birthday party uh, inland of L.A. 
that we had and met another sweet lady who was a follower of Jesus. Um, she was a Christian, and we told her what we were doing. Oh, we're starting a church in Studio City. And her reaction is an example of how we should probably not talk openly. But she goes, oh, there's so many heathens there, aren't there? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, there are, you know, there are people that don't know Jesus um, and have very different perspectives. But so are there in conservative areas as well. But if you come and you demean and you put down that way openly, it can show kind of a, uh, it really can show some of the ways you miss your own brokenness and your own sinfulness and how much grace God has had on you. And so we seek not to talk about Hollywood destroying uh, the country, but uh, seek to talk about the potential that's behind that. Look at, you know, what if God did some wonderful things and worked in powerful ways and used those creative gifts. And there were stories of faith and goodness and beauty and God. By the way, I think Noah is a great thing. You may want to, you know, call me heretic or whatever. But if you've seen that movie, it talks about, you know, a movie that has the creator God as an overarching real presence and things and talks about God's wrath as a real thing and being saved from that. And I thought I saw it and I was like, this is great. I could have tons of conversations on this in my community. You may not feel that way. Of course, there were things that were Clearly not in the scripture. Um, but that's one way we try to think, talk positively about specific areas. Um, quick thing, I'll say another example. You could say we, I mentioned the LGBT, the gay and lesbian community as well. Um, we try to emphasize when we talk about that issue or talk to people, when people ask us that, we try to do a few things. We try to emphasize the brokenness that we all have, that the scriptures are clear, all of us, sex, and sexually ways in moral ways in financial ways the scripture talks about all of us are broken uh we can be self-righteous we can be build our identities and lives on things completely other uh than god and what he commands and we say on the flip side uh christianity is an equal opportunity offender and jesus was an equal opportunity offender and so we emphasize there's no lifestyle there's no pattern of life that jesus doesn't command repentance from uh, that does that means if you're conservative, if you're liberal, if you're straight, there are all sorts of things that he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, repent. So we say to people, look, it's, are there ways that your life is going to have to change if you start following Jesus? Absolutely. And that's true for every single person. But here's the message of the gospel. See what God has done, who he is, no matter what you've done. Let's focus on that, and then we'll get to the other stuff as it comes along. Um, and I think lastly, there will be people that will disagree uh, clearly on that issue if we stick to what Scripture says. But I truly think one of the ways it's going to be different as this issue continues to become uh, tougher in our culture is how we respond in response. If we respond like Jesus commands us here to love those even that hate you, eventually in the long run people will go, you know, people put us in the category of the KKK or racists or whatever um, the KKK doesn't respond in love and kindness and care <laughs> to people that they disagree with. We have a chance, even with people that disagree with us, to say the way of Jesus shows us something different. Even if you think we're the worst people, the worst whatever, we're still going to keep on loving you, doing you good, and caring for you. So that's one way we go into that. I'm almost, uh, I'm taking too much time as I usually do, but let's close this up, guys. So Jesus, in telling us to love our enemies and do good to those who are very different than us, even with those who may hate us and what we stand for at times, is telling us how we're to operate as a church. This is our calling. This is your calling as a manual in our community.
And when we see people that, uh, when people see us, that we don't just love those who love us, we are actually, in the end, commending to them the God that is talked about in this section of Luke at the end. Jesus says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so you be merciful even as our Father is merciful. I want to tell you one story of a, a, a quickly of a, a woman in our church that's been one of these more uh, positive uh, experiences. There aren't all positive, but there's a woman named Vanessa that we got to know um, uh, in our community. We got involved. Anyone know what Relay for Life is? It's a great organization that helps raise money to fight cancer. Our church has gotten involved with that as one of the ways that's it's not explicitly a Christian thing. It's, in fact, it's not secular, but we could say... In the name of Jesus, we want to help end suffering from cancer. We got to know uh, Vanessa. She's a wonderful um, uh, lady, but she's a practicing Buddhist, kind of in an L.A. spiritual way. So she didn't come from a, a Buddhist background, but started practicing. Um, and, you know, we thought, you know, we're just going to be kind to her, love her, and, and, and see what happens, you know. Um, and we became friends over time, and she came uh, in and out of our lives when it wasn't relay things. Um, but something happened a couple months ago. Her father got diagnosed with cancer several months ago, and then about a month and a half ago or so, her mother also got diagnosed with cancer, which is extremely ironic since she'd been a part of Relay for Life uh, as well. Um, and as far as we can tell, the first person she called was Alicia and I. Which is crazy because we've known her for a year. So she called us crying. Um, we tried to do our best to be there for her, care for her, love, uh, you know, just care for her. Um, and she eventually asked us, hey, would you come and um, pray with my mom while she's, which, I, which we were like, oh, that's, yes, we will do that. <laughs> um, but that was an amazing step for us because, um, uh, you know, we didn't know she had any interest or wanted to hear anything about what we were doing in terms of the church, but her mom has a Catholic background, so that kind of helped, and went and prayed with her, um, had a great time with her mom, uh, talked through Psalm 23 together, uh, and as I left, Vanessa started crying as she walked me out and said, that was that helped so much, I'm going to come to your church on Sunday, and can you get me a Bible, and uh, other questions, we said, yes, yes, we can, Vanessa's been coming for a few weeks now, which is uh, amazing to us, she brought her aunt, um, and she put, I'll, I'll show you what she put on Facebook. This is one of the ways you know um, what's happening nowadays, if you will. She put this, which amazed us, and I'll read it to you guys. She says, I've never been one to go to church, not against it, uh, just never went. Times have changed a lot thanks to DJ and Alicia Jenkins and their anthology Church of Studio City. It's so casual, no pressure, and enjoyable. You really do come away with a new look on life. If you're someone that's like I was, you should give their church a try. So she put this out. Uh, on Facebook, and you know, Alicia and I start tearing up just seeing it. So you can be praying for Vanessa. She's, uh, I assume she's coming tonight, and we'll be there at Easter. And pray for her mom and her dad to be healed. And uh, her mom wants to come to church. Uh, if she feels okay, she's going through treatment. But you can be praying uh, for her. So that was one. You know, Vanessa. We know Vanessa's uh, stance on some political things, and she would not be uh, a fan of some of where we stand. Uh, but God has been working just through our. Uh, Efforts and relay and things. So um, lastly, just to close, guys, when you think about that last section on loving your enemies, I wonder if you're like me. Um, it's not easy to do, and I can get overwhelmed when I really look at those things. There are still times I know people around us that really disagree with us and what we believe, and a lot of times in the social realm, of course. But those last verses are huge. Um, or Let me read them again. 
a few of them. He says, love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, Jesus says. There's nothing about that that's easy, right? That is a high, extremely hard calling. When someone wrongs you, right, your first response is to defend yourself or wrong them back. Someone cuts you off on the freeway or, you know, on highway, uh, what is it, 99 out here? I've got to get my highways right. Um, you know, your first response is not, oh, Lord, bless them. They must be busy and uh, whatever is going on. Your first response, well, mine is anyway, how dare you do that to me? I'm king of the road. Um, you know, what it, whatever it is. But Jesus says something interesting. He says, people that do this show... When they love people that are different than them and hate them, they show that they're sons of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This type of love is impossible to do. It is not natural. It's completely supernatural. It takes something supernatural happening in our hearts. Jesus is telling us here, it takes becoming sons and daughters of God to be able to do this type of enemy love. And how does that happen? Well, we're able to love our enemies, those that are so different than us, when we realize we were God's enemies at one time in the way we acted. We rebelled and still rebel against this rule in our hearts so many times. Every time we want to get back at someone who wrongs us, we continue this rebellion. Every time we love only those who love us and show disdain to others, we continue that pattern. Yet how did God respond to us? How did he treat us? Did he abandon us? Did he leave us? No, the exact opposite. He did the very thing he calls us to do, right? And he indeed is the only one who truly and ultimately loved his enemies. He loved us so much he sent his son not to condemn us, but to be merciful to us in the fullest sense of the word, to give his life on the cross and forgive us of all our sin and to change us. Jesus loved us, his enemies, He did good to those who hated him, us. When you realize that you were his enemy and he treated you with shocking and accepting love, with forgiving love, then we become people who will love our enemies, even those who hate us, because he has done that and so much more for us, hasn't he? We will endure hardship and with tears will love our progressive neighbors so that they can know this amazing and stunning love that he has shown us. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this example you give us, uh, not only of Jesus' words, but truly, Lord, the way that you went to the cross, that you not only told us to love our enemies, but then you showed us the ultimate love in giving yourself on the cross and giving your life. Help us to look not so much at how poor we are at loving our enemies or not, but help us to look at how great and wonderful it is that you did it, And then out of that to love people that are different than us. So that more people can see you and know you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.